Some will plant seeds. Some will water seeds. Some will harvest seeds. Some will do all three. But any Christian who believes that people are lost, who believes that they have personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to take the gospel, as we all are, who believes that God has promised through Jesus Christ to bear fruit through us, any Christian who believes that and expects God to use them in that way, God will use them. Hello and welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church of Beaufort, South Carolina. We're in a study of the Book of Romans, and today Pastor Carl begins a look at what it was that motivated the Apostle Paul and how we as 21st century Christians can be equally motivated. Let's join Dr. Brogy as he reads our passage beginning in chapter 1, verse 11. Paul wrote, For I long to see you, so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you, that you may be established. That is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us, by the other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you, and I've been prevented so far, so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So for my part, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. And then verse 17 that we'll start next week. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. Now, every church has been commissioned by Jesus Christ to share the gospel with every individual in this world. Each of us have been commissioned. If you are a born-again Christian, you can claim Mark 16, 15 as your own. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Unfortunately, there are a lot of Christians today who talk about sharing their faith, but they never get around to it. There are other Christians who, when they think about sharing their faith, have a pile of guilt over them. They know they should be winning people to Christ, but they are not. And still there are others who are just paralyzed by fear when they think of sharing the gospel. And so they leave the job for the professional, for the missionary, for the evangelist, for the pastor or some other staff member. They don't really see it as their responsibility and their role in winning people to the Savior. And yet when you look at the Apostle Paul's life, he's just the opposite of so many of us. He will say here in verse 15, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And so this morning, I want us to understand what it is that motivated the Apostle Paul that we might indeed be a church with a great commission. I want us to investigate the origins of Paul's eagerness. That we can understand what it is that made Paul tick that we might share in that passion. Now there's no experience... Nothing more exciting in this life for the Christian than the opportunity and privilege to have a part in bringing someone to the Savior. Let me ask you a question that I've asked thousands of Christians over the last three decades. What is the single most important thing that has ever happened to you in your life? If you are a Christian, I mean without stutter or stammer, you will say, the day I receive Jesus Christ as my Savior, that is the single most important event in my history. 
Because there's no more important event than that. For what does it profit a man if he gain the whole world, all of its fame and fortune and power, but in the end he forfeits his own soul? Well, if that is true, if that's the most significant decision in your life, then what is the single most important thing that you could share with another person? Well, the obvious answer is how they could come to know Jesus Christ. And yet how sad it is how few Christians today are sharing their faith. As a matter of fact, after a very comprehensive study, statistics show that on average, because so few Christians share their faith, it takes about 1,000 Christians and six pastors to lead a single individual to faith in Jesus Christ. So obviously there is something dramatically wrong with the body of Christ at this age, at this time in the church. The evangelistic zeal that we should know and have and be exercising for the most part, is lost in the day that we live, which is why America is so sadly, pathetically rotting from the inside out. Now, let me give us a running start into our context this morning. Let me bring us into the context. If you remember here in this first chapter, the first 17 verses comprise the introduction to the book of Romans. And in the opening verses, he prays for the church of Rome. And he begins with a prayer of thanksgiving. Look at verse 8. He said, first I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all, because your faith is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. That's what God desires for Community Bible Church, that our faith beginning here in this state and around the world through our own efforts and through the missionaries we support, that our faith might be heard throughout the whole known world. And we saw verse 8 was a wonderful illustration of intercessory prayer. That intercessory prayer is not simply praying for our needs, but for other people's needs. To the Father, through the Son, for others, or as he says here, for you all. Then in verses 9 and 10, Paul prays for an opportunity to come and visit them. Notice, for God whom I serve in my spirit in the preaching of the gospel of his son is my witness as to how unceasingly I make mention of you. Always in my prayers making requests, if perhaps now at last by the will of God I may succeed in coming to you. Now, why does Paul want to visit these Christians so bad? Well, he gives us three specific reasons here in verses 11 to 13. And after he gives the third reason, he then reveals the passion behind these three reasons. So if you care to take notes by way of introduction, first, the Apostle Paul wants to come to help establish them. He wants to come to help establish them. If you notice verse 11, it begins with a little three-letter word in the English Bible, for. Now, if that's not in your translation, then you need to get a more literal translation of the Bible for Bible study trans purposes. Because it's there in the Greek. It's a causal. He's giving us the reason. You could translate it because. It's the link between verses 10 and 11. Because, he says, I long to see you so that I may impart some spiritual gift to you so that you may be established. So he wants to first come to impart some spiritual gift. Now, if you've taken our spiritual gifts course here in the church, you know that we highlight four major central passages in the New Testament that deal with the subject. I always remember it by two fours and two twelves. The four major passages are Ephesians 4, 1 Peter 4, 
Romans 12, and 1 Corinthians 12 through 14. And if you know those passages, in each of them, it tells us that God is the author of spiritual gifts. That you have absolutely nothing to say as to what gift or gifts God will give you on the day he saves you. He makes that determination for you. So we need to ask an important question. In what sense does the Apostle Paul say, I want to come to the church at Rome that I might impart some spiritual gift to you? Well, if you were to look up this word impart in a Greek lexicon, you would see that it means to give or to share in something. Well, Paul was obviously not coming to give them a spiritual gift because he will say in Romans, the 12th chapter, that only God can do that. But he wants to come to the church at Rome to exercise or to share or to impart his spiritual gift. Now, which spiritual gift? We're not told precisely. He just says some spiritual gift. But I suspect among those gifts God had given him, he wanted to come and to teach them. Because he says here at the end of verse 11, that you may be established. Now, that's the first reason for wanting to visit them, to impart something. But not only does he want to impart something, he wants to receive something. Paul wants to be encouraged by them. Notice in verse 12, with great humility, he says, that is, that I may be encouraged together with you while among you, each of us by the other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul understood the mutual encouragement that comes from being with God's people, especially this church, because this was a fervent church, an on-fire church for Jesus Christ. Now listen, if the great apostle if the great apostle needed fellowship, if he needed the encouragement that comes from gathering with God's people, if he had that need, what must our need be? Is it any wonder that God would say that we are not to forsake our assembling together? We've got vibration in these speakers, if you could fix that. Thank you. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far. Now, Paul was hindered. In other cases, in the New Testament, we know that sometimes he, he was hindered by the devil himself. When he writes, for instance, to the church at Thessalonica, he said, for we wanted to come to you, I, Paul, more than once, and yet Satan thwarted us. But in coming to the church at Rome, we discover that Paul was not hindered by Satan, but he was actually slowed down because of the work of the Lord. When you come to the 15th chapter, towards the end of this letter, he said, For this reason, I have often been hindered from coming to you. For what reason? For the reason he just gave in the preceding two verses. And thus he said, I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. But as it is written, they who had no news of him shall see, and those who have not heard shall understand. And so the vast opportunities that were before Paul throughout the Roman Empire drove him to take the gospel where it had not been preached. And that's what had detained him in coming to preach the gospel at the church at Rome. Now there's a third reason why he wants to come to this church. Not only does he want to help establish them, not only does he want to be encouraged by them, but third, the Apostle Paul wants to bear some fruit among them. Beyond strengthening these Roman Christians through the exercise of his own spiritual gifts, beyond the mutual encouragement that he would get from being in their presence, Paul has an evangelistic motivation for coming to the church at Rome. Look at verse 13. I do not want you to be unaware, brethren, that often I have planned to come to you and have been prevented thus far. 
so that I may obtain some fruit among you also, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Paul says, I want to obtain some fruit. The ESV paraphrases the Greek by saying, to reap some harvest among you. He wants to see some people saved, just like he's already seen on his other missionary uh, endeavors, even as among the rest of the Gentiles. Now, do you see that Paul has an expectancy? He expects God to use him when he comes to the city of Rome. And I hope you are expecting God to use you in that way. God wants to use you in the process of bringing people to Jesus Christ. Do you believe that? If you don't expect that, God will not use you. Now, I realize God uses us in different capacities. Some will plant seeds, some will water seeds, some will harvest seeds, some will do all three. But any Christian who believes that people are lost, who believes that they have personally commissioned by Jesus Christ to take the gospel, as we all are, who believes that God has promised through Jesus Christ to bear fruit through us, any Christian who believes that and expects God to use them in that way, God will use them. Do you know why some of us don't really see God bring that many people to faith in Christ through, through us? Because we don't expect him to. But Paul said, listen, I'm coming to Rome and I want to bear some fruit just like I have in other places in the empire amongst the Gentiles. That's faith. And it is typically only those who come in faith that God is able to use because without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, not that he exists, but in the context that he is able, that he is able, that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. And so for by it, by faith, men of old gained approval. So Paul says in faith, I've planned to come to you and have been prevented so far so that I may obtain some fruit among you. Now, whenever you see the word fruit in the Bible, think of it in one of two ways, because it's used in one of two ways. Sometimes it's used to the fruit of the Spirit, that Christ-like, those Christ-like qualities that God wants to build into your character. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. But the word is also used to describe the fruit of another conversion. That is the fruit of another person being saved. That's how Jesus used it in John 15 when he said, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you. Why? That you might go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. God wants to use you in the wonderful, glorious process of winning people to Christ. Bearing fruit through you, fruit that would remain. Now that brings us into the context of our passage this morning. And so I want us to examine three motivations that Paul had for sharing the gospel. He makes three plain, personal, positive statements for sharing Jesus Christ. And each of those statements are introduced with those two little words in English, I am. He says in verse 14, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. In verse 15, so for my part, I am. I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And then in verse 16 he reasons, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. There you have it, three plain personal statements that motivated him. I am under obligation, 
I am eager and I am not ashamed. I hope you have those underlined in your Bible this morning because those three affirmations that Paul makes in many ways are in direct contrast to the average modern day Christian. Most Christians see themselves under no obligation to share their faith. I fear if we did a survey here this morning that maybe hundreds of us have not even tried this week to share the gospel with anyone because you don't really see yourself as under obligation. Many Christians see this as the sole responsibility of the pastor, of the missionary, of the evangelist, of the paid professional. In fact, if they even attempt to try to win someone to Jesus Christ, they think they've done God a favor. But for the Apostle Paul, evangelism is not a charity, it is an obligation. Second, the average Christian tends to be reluctant to share his faith. Where the Apostle Paul, with a sense of enthusiasm, says, I'm eager to share the gospel. And third, Paul could say he was not ashamed of the gospel, whereas our problem today is that many are ashamed of it. And so the contrast between Paul and the average Christian today is sharp. Many Christians would say, I am under no obligation. I am not eager at all. In fact, I am rather ashamed. So let's investigate these three motivations that Paul had so that hopefully God will burn them deep into our hearts and that we might share them. First point there on your outline, I want you to think about the Apostle Paul's debt. That's the first motivation, the Apostle Paul's debt. Notice now verse 14. I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. Now what did Paul mean when he said he was under obligation, or as the old King James renders it, a debtor? Well, in the context of the New Testament, in the context of this passage, Paul's obligation or debt went in one of two directions. He was doubly a debtor. First, Paul understood that the gospel made him a debtor to Christ. He knew the gospel had made him a debtor to Christ. He's already referred to himself in verse 1 as a bondservant, as a slave of Jesus Christ. And we are slaves in debt to Jesus Christ. We were slaves of sin and Satan, bound for hell, under the wrath of God Almighty. But we've been purchased through the blood of the cross. And so Paul, when he writes to the Corinthians, he will ask, don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? For you've been bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. Because of the cross of Jesus Christ, we are under obligation. We have been giving marching orders from the king himself to go into all the world and to preach the gospel. Paul knew he was a debtor, that there was an immeasurable payment made for him that released him from the wrath of God and commissioned him into service. But not only did he recognize that the gospel made him a debtor to Christ, he understood that the gospel made him a debtor to humanity. Now please understand, Paul is a debtor to humanity. And until you see yourself as a debtor to humanity, you will never have the zeal and the passion and the eagerness that this man had in his heart. He understood something that many of us have never grasped, that he was a steward, that he was a trustee of the gospel message. Now, while there's no single English word that can capture this Greek word that is translated obligation in the NAS, 
Um, there are various nuances. So the RSV says, I am bound. The New English Bible says, I have a duty. The ESV and the NAS says, I am under obligation. But the King James is quite correct to translate it, I am a debtor. The Greek word was ophiletes, and in the first century, it was a financial term, when someone had incurred a financial debt. Now, there are two ways of getting into debt with someone. One is to borrow money from an individual, and you are in debt to that individual until you pay that individual back. The other way is to be given money from an individual for you to give to someone else. And then you become a double debtor. You're not released from that debt that someone has entrusted to you until you hand it over to someone else. Let me see if I can illustrate it. Anthony, be my friend. Stand up for me this morning. You taking notes on the sermon? Yeah, Very good. Praise the Lord. All right. You doing all right today? I'm doing fine. Good. Uh, you got your wallet with you? No, I got my white pocketbook. Though. I'll take that. All right. Pull out that pocketbook, Velda. Uh, do you mind, could I borrow some money from you? Yes. You got some money in there? Uh, a $5 bill. I want to borrow this $5 bill from you. And I am now in debt to you until I hand you back this $5 bill. Now, I don't like being in debt. I like being debt-free, so I'm going to give it back to you. But since you're in such a generous mood this morning, I wonder if there's someone in this auditorium that you would like, to give, like me to give that $5 to. Yes. Who? Bethany. All right. Bethany, where are you? There you are. <laughs> Bethany, this is from Anthony. And so he has entrusted $5 for me to give to you. Now I'm a double debtor. Not only am I in debt to what he has entrusted to me, but I am also in debt to you. And until I hand this $5 to you, my debt is not released. Now you can deal with her after the service. <laughs> that is the way in which the apostle Paul was in debt. God had given him something. He owed the church at Rome nothing financially, but he had been entrusted with something. God had given him something, and he realized that until he gave it to those individuals to whom God had, had this gospel to go out to, that he was indeed in debt. And so throughout his epistles, Paul speaks of the fact that he had been entrusted with the gospel to the church at Galatia. He said, I've been entrusted with the gospel to the uncircumcised. To the church at Thessalonica, he said, we've been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not as pleasing men, but God who examines our hearts. When he writes to his young son in the faith, Timothy, he says in 1 Timothy 1, he speaks of the glorious gospel of the blessed God to which I've been entrusted. To the Corinthian church, he says, I have a stewardship entrusted to me. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ who made Paul a debtor by revealing to him the truth of the gospel and then commanding him to take that gospel to the world. And Paul believed in paying his debts. And so he saw himself with a responsibility to take the gospel to all men. Notice verse 14, I am under obligation, I am a debtor both to Greeks and to barbarians, 
both to the wise and to the foolish. Now in the first century, there was a couple of different ways in which they divided the world up. The Jews divided the world up on the basis of religion. And so they would refer to Jews and Greeks, as Paul will in a moment in verse 16. Whereas the Greeks and the Romans, in their common day, everyday speech, divided the world up as it is in this verse, to the Greek and to the barbarian. And the line of separation, the line of demarcation was not religion, but culture and civilization. Why? Because the Greeks were the sophisticated people of the day. They had philosophy for centuries. And so barbarians were considered uncultured, uneducated, untrained, unsophisticated. In fact, the word barbarian comes directly from Greek, barbarus. And literally it meant to mutter. And so a barbarian is one who really was uneducated and so he didn't use the Greek language well. Today we would say he speaks poor English because he's uneducated. And so when Paul says, I am under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, and then in verse 16, to the Jew and to the Greek, in effect he's saying, I owe the gospel to everyone. To the wise, to the unwise, to the educated, to the uneducated, to the Greek, to the barbarian. It's amazing grace for every race. That's his heart. He sees himself as under obligation. And let me say this. If your compassion for people does not extend to every group. If you leave out some group, some race, some socioeconomic strata of society, then you don't love the world the way God loves the world. For God so loved the whole world that he gave his one and only son. And so Paul teaches that we are to have a burden for the world, that our compassion is to extend to all men. And so these churches that have created target audiences who say, well, our church is to reach baby boomers or baby busters or Generation X, those churches that segregate on the basis of age or race or economics or any other factor you can think of, they are in violation of the Holy Scripture. In Paul's mind, his target audience was all men, anyone that moved and breathed. I owe the gospel to all men. And so when he gathers the Ephesian elders together, he says in Acts 20, And now behold, I know that all of you, among whom I went about preaching the kingdom, will see my face no more. Therefore I testify to you this day, I am innocent of the blood of all men. Very simply, Paul could say that because he had paid his debts. And if you've been saved, then you must realize that you are a debtor bought with Christ's blood and entrusted with the gospel. God has commissioned you to go. Don't think that that's just something that some weird segment of the body of Christ is to do. That just some passionate, overflowing Christian is to do. If you've been saved, you have been called to go. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you ought never lose sight of the great gift and sacrifice made on your behalf. And as such, you should be motivated, as was the Apostle Paul, to share the great gift with others. To listen again to today's study, part one of a message entitled, A Church with a Great Commission, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 
and requesting program ROM3. At Search the Scriptures, our goal is to obey our great commission of telling all the world about the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Won't you help us in this mission with a one-time or monthly gift? Find out more by clicking the Give button at searchthescriptures.org or by calling 877-787-7478. Thank you. Tomorrow, the conclusion of A Church with a Great Commission. Join us then as we search the Scriptures.